The following is still a pandemic recording presented to you in Around Sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Insist on respect the sister, walk around like a woman is. She won't speak unless it's something worse saying, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way, her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxurious thing. Carries herself like the cutest, most prettiest thing you see this side of the bay. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we're loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, hot girl summer, we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and Reconstruction. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Now, our guests this week are a mother and daughter who are doing so many amazing things. Each of them, each of them individually, and then together. It's, it's amazing. So first, let me tell you about Marley Diaz. She's the author of Marley Diaz Gets It Done, and so can you. She's the founder of A Thousand Black Girl Books, an international movement to collect and donate children's books that feature Black girls as the lead character. She's also the executive producer of Netflix Bookmarks, Celebrating Black Voices, which was nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Children's Programs category in 2021. I mean, are you ready for the mic drop? Because she's 16. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, but, you know, the apple don't fall far from the tree now, child. So Marley's mom's, Dr. Janice Johnson-Diaz, recently published her excellent first book, Parent Like It Matters, How to Raise Joyful, Change-Making Girls. In it, she shares her approach to raising a child who is devoted to social justice. Dr. Janice is also an associate professor of sociology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And her research has appeared in the top-ranking policy and social science journals. Now, I told you this was the dynamic duo. And I am so, so glad to have both Dr. Janice Johnson-Diaz and Marley Diaz on the show today. Welcome. Hey. Hi. Thank you for having us. (laughs) (laughs) I love y'all so much. This is great. I have not seen you I think since the United State of Women in LA, like I was just going a couple to say, years yeah. ago, 2017, maybe. Honestly, a while ago. It's while, been while. a long time, but what is time these days? <laughs> what is time? <laughs> I think that's what we learned from 2020, right? Time is relative. So <laughs> I got to ask you both. I mean, I'm in California, where as of today, all of our Rona restrictions have been lifted. But as I like to say, we are still very much in a panini, in a pandemic, in a ponderosa. 
we still got stuff going on. So I got to ask y'all, what has your quarantine life been like? Or what was it like? And have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? So the pandemic has, it's mostly been like personally. For me, it has been great to not have to do the bridge and tunnel, drive to New York City from New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I have found out that I actually really like my daughter and my husband more than I thought I did. Yeah. I would say before. <laughs> That's an excellent observation. <laughs> it's just, that has been really super rewarding. I have also bought a Peloton. Yes. And that has been a lifesaver for yes. me during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You looking good too. I've seen your vacation Thank photos. You. Yeah, I'm saying. Right. Um, so I've dropped. I guess twenty pounds yes. since the start of the pandemic. Come on, so Dr. that has Diaz, been you good. Come through. <laughs> well, yeah, because I don't have to mess with people like that. Um, <laughs> so you know, people make me hungry and make me drink, and I've had fewer people. So it's just been kind of wonderful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I thought it was me. People make me hungry and people make they, me drink. Make me drink. I they feel do. you. I do. And, and so yeah, and the result is people make me stressed and they make me fat. And so mm-hmm. the pandemic has, it's been stressed in terms of how people have responded. I have a lot of different thoughts and feelings about how we've responded. But in terms of my interpersonal life, it has been fewer people, only people I like, people who really are at the heart of my life. And that's primarily my husband and my daughter and my friends who I walk with on Sundays. And, you know, I've written a lot. Um, the book came out during the pandemic. Yes, it did. Yes, and it's it fierce, did. Honey, it's fierce. <laughs> I really wanted to be out there. The, the time I really wanted to be with people was when the book came out. And But it's given me new opportunities. So I actually, I feel relatively personally my well-being is better, but my assessment of the world is quite grim post-pandemic. Um, and I've been really trying to, I'm really struggling with that at one level because it's just illuminated some things that, you know, I always kind of knew, I clearly study, but to make it so real, that part has been, it's been challenging to to watch people not get it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my everyday kind of life, it has been really wonderful to have my family so close to me and to have them so close to me every day. I love that. Well, that's the sociologist in you, that grim outlook. So I understand that. <laughs> I'm a sociologist myself, you know what I'm saying? So I, yes. I, I share this with you. Marley, what's your quarantine life been like? And have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? It's been interesting. I mean, yeah, mom, I love you. It's been so great spending, you know, being a teenager with my mom in the house. You know, it's been fun. It has been fun. It has genuinely been fun. I think I've learned to see my parents more as people rather than, you know, bank accounts or chefs or maids or whatever, you know, a role that that. might serve. (laughs) I know it's crazy that they have like lives and history and all these amazing things. But, but in reality, those things have been really valuable to me. I've enjoyed the time that I spent with my parents. I think I've learned more about who they are and they've learned more about me and been willing to make investments in my interests that 
I, I think they still would have done, but it's been super cool to see them want to try things with me where I learned how to play chess and I've been beating my dad at chess, like well religiously, done. where if I want to, I learned how to crochet and then my mom tried to learn how to crochet with me. I had a goal of watching 50 movies. So then my dad watched half of the Marvel like movies with me. So <laughs> it's been super exciting to have those experiences, which otherwise I would not have had. Similar to adopting a dog, like you said, that's been super great to see my dad run around and know that he can jump super high and he can, <laughs> he likes to, him and my dog like to dig together. Like all these just crazy random things that I don't think I would have witnessed. But uh, it's also been really stressful for me. I am still in school. And unlike mm-hmm. some of my other counterparts as youth activists or actresses or hosts, I have been continuing to do school and haven't really left or, or tried to completely transition my life out of being uh, an everyday student. So I have my last week of school right now. I Before this, I was talking to my teacher and I was crying. I was just going through it. Like I've had such a hard school year. Um, and I, I've definitely been succeeding to to the extent that I wanted to succeed, but it's been under difficult and unique circumstances. And I also think that I've worked more because I don't have to travel. Like now, because it doesn't take that two hours to get to New York and then yeah. two hours back and then buying a new outfit and getting your makeup done or hair, I have worked an amount that is double what I think I would have worked because it doesn't take me to go to Oregon to talk to every teacher in Oregon. So that's been a really kind of weird and efficient way to do what I like to do, like to get to talk and meet new people. But it's also odd because it's like, if this was real, this was real life in the way that, you know, we all imagine and dream of real life, none of this would be happening at the rate it's happening. Like I could not be the national advisor for Read Across America and be working on, you know, writing articles for my school newspaper and be applying to National Honor Society. Like none of this would have been happening at the same time. So it's cool in the fact that it can happen at the same time, but it's also tiring because there is a potential for all of it to be happening at once. Um, And I think a lot of us, including myself, I think have taken on too much during this time, which might be an opinion that some people disagree with, but I think a lot of people have taken on more stuff on their computers, on their phones than they should. Um, and I think the pendulum for me has swung a little bit too far into being not on my phone, which mom would probably like to blame it for me being on my phone, but I spend four hours doing school and then I spend two hours doing school work and then I spend two hours on Zoom doing outside work. So I think it can be a little bit complex now. I, really I am agree. not going to blame it on your phone. I just think that she is a high performing child who will not quit when I, I would have just laid down. On the floor. I understand. (laughs) I know the struggle. I, too, was a high-performing child, and I've become a okay-performing adult. But I will say (laughs) that, you know, you all are really saying something similar that really kind of hits the core of what I also think is happening, which is that, you know, in an increasingly digital world, in a world where we've come to depend on technology, not just as consumers, but like we've depended on it. We've needed it to connect. It is weird how we've started to fill every single hour of every day because it is not being used in other ways as opposed to just leaving that be, right? Like what if we just kept commute time, which is like, this is not a time for calls, meetings, whatever. I'm going to tell you all this. And, um, you know, my sister, Ijen, will probably grimace when I say this, but I really meant it. When this pandemic started and people started hitting me up talking about let's have meetings from six in the morning until seven o'clock at night, I was like, y'all gonna have to miss me with that. 
because what you not fit to do. Completely agree. <laughs> what it's you ridiculous. not fit to do. I was like, I'm not used to all this camera. So, you know, if I don't have time to get up and have some coffee and wash my face, we not going to have no conversation. I don't talk to nobody before coffee. That's just a fact. Not even my partner. I don't talk to my partner before coffee. And we share a house. Okay. So let me just say, like, you just have to set boundaries. And if there's anything that I developed in this pandemic, it was really strong boundaries. Saying no is absolutely now my 100% best friend. I remember when this whole thing started, people were all on this DIY thing, right? We were like planting gardens because maybe you were going to the grocery store and the aisles were empty. There was a run on toilet paper (laughs) and like random things, right? Like, why is there no oatmeal on the shelves? So there was planting gardens, baking bread. I started learning how to do my own nails because, you know, I'm fierce about my nails and I like Japanese hard gel and nobody does it here. So I learned how to do it myself. Are there any new skills that Miss Rona gave y'all? I have definitely, I think I definitely had the, done the most skills. I like to, I have a, I learned how to knit. I learned how to crochet. I learned how to put on a wig, but I will, that's, that's retired. I started and retired. That's too much. You for big me. Fair, fair enough. I, I made, I made banana, but I already knew how to do that. She's going to start filling in blanks that I've actually known how to do, <laughs> but I, I learned how to crochet. I learned how to knit and I think I just continued on some of the things that I knew how to do already. So I knew how to edit videos and I started to make more videos um, and I begun to write more, but I still like, but I think, I think some of them things, some of them have retracted where I started it and now it's not really my thing, mm-hmm. but crocheting has been really fun and making, I made her a sweater. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to make my dad a sweater for father's day if I can, you know, get it together, but it's been super fun to be able to make, make things. I, I think it across the board, it's been really cool, but definitely like yarn arts and things that my grandma actually knew how to do and I didn't know she knew how to do uh, that now we kind of share together. I love that. What about you, Dr. Janice? What you what you learning? Yeah, so I, I mostly play with words. Um, so I had none of those interests. What I did do for the first six months, though, I ended up cooking a lot more. Ooh. So all of our food was really food. And it's food I grew up with in Jamaica. Um, so it was like, organic food, um, food from the Jamaican market, from the Asian market. So there was a lot of like me cooking and attempting to satiate the American appetite of the pastas and the ricers. What are we doing? Um, curries? Are we doing curries? <laughs> oh no, they you won't know, eat curries. That's not true. Well, I think this is the issue with the having the dynamic is that she likes to say a lot of mistruths. And I <laughs> and that I'm not gonna go as far to say lies, but this I will a read, say this. Okay. This is a read. So Marley will <laughs> no, eat curry let, chicken. Let me let me say what I will eat. I like jerk chicken. I like jerk chicken the best. I like jerk shrimp the best. I like jerk as a seasoning more than curry by a lot, actually. Yes. Okay. I okay. like curry chicken. I will eat curry chicken, but I will not do curry of any other thing but chicken. I don't do goat. I don't do pig. I don't do anything. Yeah. Oh. Um, I am a carbohydrate person because that's an American thing. Like I like, I have to have rice with something. I have to do that. That's just the way it goes. Oh, so I think that I have to have pasta. Well, I don't have. See, she's already filling in blanks that don't exist. I don't have to have pasta. That's the only thing Dad knows how to cook. So that's what I eat. That's a, that's what we're forgetting. So let me ask you, Marley. You first of all. You are amazing. So all them fruits and vegetables did you good, child. (laughs) I love, 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 love the 1000 Black Girls campaign. 
And you did this, you set out to find a thousand books where black girls are the protagonists in the story. And for those of you who are listening, it was like, what's a protagonist? It means the main, the head honcho, the hero, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So can you talk with us a little bit about where this idea came from? What problem were you trying to solve and how's it going? It's going pretty well, but I'll start from the very beginning. So um, I know the, the people at home can't see, but I have a lot of books in my house. I've always been a, a, a person that loved to read, and my parents had always encouraged the importance of having books in the home, being read to, having that as a shared experience in the same way that video games or sports might be for other kids. Even though I enjoyed those things, it was always reading that brought me the most joy. Um, and I had access due to you know my parents' own financial circumstances to having the books that I wanted when I wanted them. That there was never really a question of, okay, well, if I get this story, that's that's the end of it. But there was a, a continuing support of my own curiosity and my love of reading. Um, and my school had done a great job at supporting that and continues to do so. But then I started to look at who was on the cover of these books, what mm-hmm. stories were being told. Um, and I noticed that there were limited to no stories about Black girls' experiences, girls' experiences, and it was mainly as people quote about white boys and their dogs. Mm-hmm. And many people get frustrated about that quote, but I continue to say it that I love those stories. I will still read them. I still enjoy them. But it's important to make sure that the experiences of Black girls and all kinds of students are brought into the center of the narratives that we learn about within schools and especially public schools, where we are are funding and supporting thousands and thousands of kids across all different experiences and resource levels, that we give them a a chance and opportunity to see the world in so many different ways. So I decided that I was going to collect 1,000 books where Black girls were the main characters and continue to push for diversity within my own town, but within homogenous Black spaces, white spaces, diverse spaces, and anywhere that kids learn about the world around them to make sure that they consider the experiences of all kinds of people while doing that. So it's been going pretty well. We've gotten to 13,000 books, and it's become a larger mission not only to support what teachers and educators do to get curriculums to match the experiences of students and to support new experiences, um, but also to make sure that business owners and leaders consider the, the education on Black experiences. And my new kind of favorite thing that's evolved over the past three years is making sure that kids know they can change the world, too. That's one of my favorite things that's kind of evolved out of this, that it wasn't at the beginning because I didn't feel like I was changing the world. No, I felt like I just liked something and I wanted other people to enjoy it in a new way. But now it's become a a huge way for me to support and encourage other kids that love to read or don't love to read to do something about the issues they notice in their towns. Mm, I love this so much. Janice, you're coming in hot and fresh off the presses with your new book, (laughs) Parent Like It Matters, How to Raise Joyful, Change-Making Girls. And you certainly succeeded here. So congratulations (laughs) on your book, but also congratulations on your family. You're doing a pretty good job. Thank you. Thank you. I try. I try. In your book, you talk about something that I think might surprise people about how to raise joyful, change-making girls like Marley. And I'll be honest, I saw the book and I was like, oh, is this like a self-help book? Like, I thought I was going to get a lot of like, you know what I'm talking about. But then I was like, but this is written by a black woman, so I know it's going to be a plot twist. So (laughs) can you give us the plot twist for people who may have seen it and they're trying to figure out, well, what's going on? I mean, can you share the secret? 
Yeah, the secret is if you want to raise a joyful, change-making girl, you need to be a joyful, change-making parent or caregiver. That's like the whole sauce. Um, And many people who call themselves caregivers are in charge of the lives of young people. Some are bios, some are not, some are teachers, coaches, is that they themselves have not found joy. They have not found or tapped into ways of attending to the issues that they see in the world. So Marley's talking about the fact that she wants kids to see that they can make a difference in the world. But oftentimes, I encounter over the past 10 years of running the foundation, adults who want kids to do stuff, but they themselves won't do anything. Adults who want kids to be joyful, but they themselves are not joyful. So I get very excited in this moment where people are like, well, Marley cares about things. And then they're like, well, her mama cares about things. Yeah. Like, you know, so it is, you need to model for your children what you're expecting of them. And um, I am deeply passionate and extremely joyful. And so I'm grateful to be able to raise a child who does this. But really, if it were me doing it by myself, it wouldn't happen. So a part of joyfulness and change-making for adults is really being a person who recognizes that you're connected to the world and really tapping into a set of things that attend to who you are first before you start projecting, demanding, um, or asking children to do stuff. Well, here's what I love about that. And it hit me in my gut, right? Because, um, first of all, when I think about my mother, who you both met, and you know, my mom was a pretty amazing lady. There was nobody more joyful than my mother. Always smiling, laughing. It doesn't mean she wasn't going through stuff, right? But her approach to the world is something that I see in myself every single day. My mom used to get up and she was like, yo, there is a whole day in front of you, like go do something. And that's what she did. She was up. She was either making breakfast or doing little craft projects or, you know, mom's always had something going on. And I feel like I'm in the same vein. But here's what I love about this. And it's something I saw in my own mother. It actually is affirming in a lot of ways that parenting is not just about caregiving for a child. There are so many families out here And parents who I think feel a lot of anxiety about everything in my life has to be wrapped around my child. And what I'm hearing you say is, no, we are actually full living human beings that also deserve to be invested in. And when we invest in ourselves, it is an investment in our children. And earlier, Marley, I heard you saying, you know, (laughs) I heard you saying, like, I actually learned this pandemic that my parents are full people. They have personalities, they have stories, they have history. And that, to me, is something that is just not talked about a lot, Dr. Janice. So I'm wondering if you can kind of expound on where do you find your joy? And Marley, I want to hear this from you too. But Dr. J, tell me a little bit about where your joy is rooted. So my joy is really rooted in the fact that I have been an educator for a long time. Um, And if you talk to my friends in Boston, they feel like I've been an educator since I came (laughs) to the U.S. Gave out the womb. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
But I I have had, um, sometimes I used to laugh that um, I would write an autobiography that says, picking cotton in the fields of academe, how white men's racism helped me get ahead. Come on. Because um, <laughs> I've had the you honor. You better trademark that, by the way. Don't be trying to steal her title. That's okay, exactly what it. I was about to say. No <laughs> title dropping, no idea sharing. Well, well we, you know what I mean. But, to a, there's a level you can't get into. On, but on a, a part of what has happened is America's deep animus and anti-Blackness has really benefited me as an immigrant. So I came to the country in 84 with this lilt and with a great primary education. And a part of the way in which America's structural racism and anti-Blackness works is that it tries to pick the Black it likes. And as an exotified Black person, um, I got chosen. And luckily, I had enough knowledge and information to understand what this choosing meant. Now, the choosing was intended to create space between me and other indigenous Black folk. It didn't quite do that, which is the challenge. Not even close. Not even. <laughs> it never worked. <laughs> but what it did was their selecting me gave me access to resources and information, and I became deeply invested in the capital exchange. So if I learned it, then I would share it. Mm. And that experience of taking the capital investments in me and the resources and sharing it is at the center of what brings me joy. Mm. When I am able to do that, then I feel immensely happy. So I talk about joy being two things. It's an attitude towards life and it is linked to action, right? (laughs) And so I have a particular attitude towards life, which says, as long as you have breath, there is an opportunity to be able to create change. And most of the things that make the world bad were created by humans so they can be undone. That's right. Um, And so that particular attitude helps me because every day I'm kind of chipping away at something and I'm transferring something. So my big transfer is to young people and to their caregivers. And I have spent the past two decades kind of doing that. So that fills my spirit each day. And so I get very excited when I see like young people move. And I get particularly excited because I was raised by a woman who would never call herself a feminist, but is a staunch feminist. And I was raised by people who recognized that there was very little space between you and me. And and so when people try to artificially create spaces based on my gender, my height, my weight, my race, my sexuality, whatever, I'm like, all right, cool, though. Right. (laughs) And I keep it moving because I really think that when we are more closely aligned, then we're actually much more spirited and much more peaceful. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of like, so every day I kind of wake up, I'm a morning person, I have excessive amount of energy, it bothers my husband and daughter a lot. But that energy is what drives me every day. What can I transfer? What information can I learn? What resource can I give? How can I make this happen? How can I work? And so I just kind of, it's like a groove for me. So I kind of get into it it and it makes me very, 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 very joyful. I got the same feels. (laughs) Marley, what brings you joy? That's a tough one. I mean, I think it's easier for her to say because she has, you know, more years on me. 
a couple oh, more. Hold you know, on but now. In, but in a nice way. That, that, like, she's seen more of the world. She's had more opportunities to be joyful and to be less joyful. So mm. I think I would say something similar. I find, I find a lot of joy in kind of like sharing information with other people and being receptive to that information myself. I think something about being someone who, who loves to read will always make me interested in productive disagreement, in learning more about other people's experiences and valuing my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a huge aspect of community building and community loving that comes from both my mom and from wanting to learn about so many other communities while reading. Uh, and I think that brings me a lot of joy. But I also think there are like, you know, there are silly things. I love I love beating my dad at stuff. I love, he's the only person that I'm like very extremely competitive <laughs> about. I love the idea that I get to, that he gets to make me better at things and I get to make him better. Yeah. And I can embarrass myself in front of him. I'm, I'm very self-critical, so I don't like to, to do things that I feel like I could be embarrassed by, but I love yeah. sharing those moments with friends and family. And I, I think there's something about seeing all of who somebody is and embracing all of who somebody is while also pushing them to be different, but to still embrace those, those, those unique things about all of us that brings me a lot of joy, which I think has come through reading, through being, you know, I will say, quote, an activist or uh, through being a student that getting to embrace all those different parts of people's lives, what they know, what they don't know, what I learn. Uh, it's a super joyful experience that I I always find a way to do or try to search out when I work or I'm a student or anything else. What would be different about the world? How might it change if Black girls were loved on, respected, and encouraged to find our joy? Mom, you got to go first. I don't know. <laughs> Girl, I feel... Oh, I feel like everything would be different. Mm -hmm. And for the past week, I've been playing around and writing a little bit about, like, what would the world be like if we raised our kids as if you're going to have a Black girl as a daughter or you're going to have a um, a disabled child or if you're going to have a child who you know for sure is going to be a member of the queer community? Like, how would your parenting be different? How would you organize the world differently? Like, you know, for those of us who come from reading, having read Plato's Republic or any of those things or notions of justice, like how would you organize the world if you didn't know what your social class was going to be? How would you allocate funds and resources? That's stuff I kind of, I spent a lot of time thinking about. So I think that if Black girls from the very beginning of life were loved upon, that we would have a society that really is different from the one that we have now. Mm-hmm. This particular United, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna limit it to United States, but it could easily be global. But in the United States, we have very little value for human life. And the pandemic revealed that the expendability of people really um, became prominent and clear. But I think that if we loved upon black girls and black girls having such intersectional identities, being so varied, it would tap into our humanity. Loving a black girl, even even in the sense that Marley is loving an old black woman, is that it taps you. It gives you an insight into, curried even, it gives you an insight (laughs) into, an insight into humanity. Because humanity is varied in the way that black girls are. And it would allow us to be able to be more humane 
it is, I feel like Black girls are this contemporary window into how we could envision justice, how we could see even the issues around climate change, how we could see each of these windows that are so available to us, but we're so blinded. So I just Mm. think the entire hemisphere and the country in particular would be so different and we'd be far more humane if Black girls were loved upon. Our institutional infrastructure would would be strikingly different. Hmm. Marley, what about you? That's a really tough question. I mean, not to not to like, you know, my mom just said something very beautiful and profound, but I honestly, I don't have as strong of an ability to imagine that world because I am a black girl that does not always feel that way. If that mm. if that really makes like I just don't think I don't see that. I, I see that in my home life clearly, but I don't see that when I go online. I don't see that even with my friends who are Black girls who have their own feelings about Blackness and their identity uh, to my friends that are not Black girls. It's And even especially in school, I think it can be very difficult to feel that my humanity is valuable, but to agree with mom and to not take you know such a pessimistic approach on it, I think that people would really understand the importance and value of celebrating humanity because of how often Black girls have to f- develop their own perception of their their value through themselves, where I think a lot of the confidence that we have, our understandings of who we are, our understandings of the way the world treats us stems from individual work or community-based work with other Black girls and Black women. It does not often stem from from an area, person, or source that is outside of that community. So I think if we create a world, and I hope to one day live in a world, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be me, but I I hope I know somebody who ends up living in a world where they get to see Black girls be loved upon and valued because it will have an emphasis on understanding the value of humanity from the experiences that we learn about. If we had everyone in the world read a Toni Morrison book, I think the world would be a lot different, whether they agree or disagree. I think that there's Mm -hmm. a lot to learn from seeing Mm -hmm. generations and generations of the way Black women have fought for humanity, both in fantastical ways and realistic ways. So I I think that that world would really have us uh, kind of agree more on what ethics look like in our world, what treating human life looks like, and how we build communities. I think all those things would drastically shift, and everything else, I think, could be uplifted by it. But humanity, ethics, and community would definitely change in a world in which Black girls uh, were able to see themselves be valued and to have others value them outside of just the space of Black women and other uh, Black femme people. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady just ain't gonna do this week. Number one, the willfully ignorant and ignorantly willful. So Marjorie Taylor Greene finally apologizes for her stupid ass comments about mask wearing being like Jews being forced to wear yellow stars during the Holocaust. This trick really said she visited Auschwitz when she was 19, and it was different than how she learned about it today after having visited the Holocaust Museum. What a dummy. But folks, look, stupid is as stupid does. Because just as soon as she apologized for her dumbass comments about genocide, she followed it up with calling for the resignation of Dr. Fauci for, you guessed it, absolutely nothing the fuck at all. I've stopped having patience for this shit. Let me go ahead and just plant this seed real quick. 2022 is coming before you know it. I know, I know. You might be feeling like, wait, what? We just had elections. But let me say this to you, dear listeners. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Do any of y'all listening live in her district in Georgia and want to run? 
Honestly, because this too much, and frankly, it really doesn't get worse than this. Just look at the bills she sponsored, and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. It's a whole ass mess. Somebody run against this woman, please. Please. Other things Lady Ain't Gonna Do this week. We now know that the Senate can work when it wants to, and when it does, it's going to be the least impactful shit possible. This week, the United States Senate, the wasteland of legislative wastelands, actually passed a bill to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. I don't even know what else to say about this except white folks stay whiting. I mean, look, the whole shit of Juneteenth is that white folks neglected to tell black folks that slavery was done. So for two fucking years, they allowed slavery to continue, even though they just fought a whole ass war that resulted in slavery being abolished in large part. So excuse me if I not only don't trust shit that white folks pass having to do with Juneteenth, but I am also like, y'all can get together and do some basic ass shit, but not the real shit like voting rights, healthcare, jobs, recovery and relief from the pandemic. Y'all should be ashamed of y'all selves. For real. For real. Here's what we want more of this week, though. Number one, walking it back when you done gone too far. So this week, Vice President Kamala Harris walked back her earlier comments on immigration during a visit to Guatemala, reaffirming the United States' commitment to asylum seekers. She also met with domestic workers at the White House this week to discuss the CARE agenda and immigration reform. We are putting this on the Lady Likes list this week because unlike Marjorie, I need attention like a toddler green, at least it looks like, for now, Madam Vice President is trying to walk back those silly-ass white speechwriter written comments she had the nerve to deliver last week. Other things Lady loves this week, I gotta be honest here, I really don't know what to do with the shy. I love it, and it's just so, so very. I mean, I'm wondering if this is the last season or some shit, because we're really going a lot of places here. I mean, sis and the mayor and Candy watching, I can't. Jake and Kevin's girlfriend catting off, like, what, sis? She stresses me out, by the way, with all her fight the power energy, but she ain't fighting no power. But that's another topic for another day. Emmett, an old girl, getting into an open relationship. And then, of course, I'm hella anxious that now the street gang is going to try to take out the trans woman. So don't sleep on this show. But also, it is getting real weird out in these streets. Other things that Lady loves this week, I know we're late on this one, but shout out to Darnella Frazier, the sister who courageously filmed the murder of George Floyd for winning an honorary Pulitzer Prize. Sis will go down in history as being brave enough to show the world what police are doing in our communities and the impact of it on all of us, our families, our communities, and our friends. We have to wrap this up, but before we do, tell the people how they can find you on the socials. Mom, you go first. Okay. I've practiced, I've had you rehearse this before, so please. <laughs> I yeah. am on Instagram at Dr. Janice Johnson. I also have my website, which is thedrjanice.com and grassrootscommunityfoundation.org and at grassrootsfound. Yes. That was pretty 
good. I, I, that, that was, was a good really job. good. Mine is not as good. I would tell people, if you really want to find me, just look up Marley Dias. That's the simplest way to do it. Like Bob Marley and then Dias, like days okay. in, in Spanish. But but my Instagram is at I am Marley Dias, as well as my Twitter. And I have the website, MarleyDias.com, to find out more about what I'm doing. But if you really want to support, I would encourage you to purchase my mom's book, Parent Like It Matters, How to Raise Joyful Change-Making Girls. If you are a caregiver in any way, teacher, educator, coach, parent, or if you are a person that knows kids in your life that you really think uh, don't believe they have the potential and do to change the world or just need to learn more about other kids that do great things, you could purchase my book, Marley Dias Gets It Done, and so can you. So she hey. forgot to do, she missed one thing that I, I wanted to, to say promo for, my book. She got to promo the one thing that we both, we were both teamed on, the one thing we got in common, this month. So. I love y'all. Oh my gosh. Thank <laughs> well, you so much for being on the show. Y'all are amazing. Thank you thank so you. much for having us and thank you for your hard work on our behalf. Oh, always, y'all always. amazing. Y'all, y'all make it easy. Now that's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I'll be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where there's a chance you might be commuting again. We appreciate you joining us and let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. On Facebook, we are Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. And a special shout out to Jahari Farrar for making sure, as always, that the people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bilaterics. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, Forrest Gump said that stupid is as stupid does. And that's certainly the case in relationship to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Never be afraid to walk back some wild ass shit you said. And the only way to make the Senate work for you, apparently is if you're satisfied with some symbolic bullshit like making Juneteenth a federal holiday. That's right, I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman is. She won't speak unless it's something worse. Singing don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curious. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furious. Love y'all. Luxurious. Carries herself like a king.